Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to be in verse 12 this morning. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry, it will be on the screen for you. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of shadow of death, a light has dawned. Verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to keep, keep speaking. Keep opening our eyes. Would we see something we've never seen before? Or would we see something anew that maybe we've just grown accustomed to? Holy Spirit, just take over. Just like John the Baptist prayed or stated, he must increase and I must decrease. God, we love you. Amen. I've told this story before, but I haven't been able to get it out of my mind basically since we started this series. So guess what? I'm going to say it again. Um, in 1933, the, the power that the Nazis held uh, in Germany began to really spread throughout most of, of culture. No element of society was really left untouched, including the church. Now, not everyone followed or agreed with the Nazi party. Absolutely, we know that. But many were swayed. And I'll say it again, including the church. One writer actually put it this way. The church began handing the loyalties, get this, the loyalties that belonged to Christ over to the Fuhrer. Remember when I read that quote, I just like, I shook a little bit in my boots. The church really at that time was very compromised, leaving the way of Jesus behind in order to fit into an, idol or an ideology full of hate and anger. And it's in this time that Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a young pastor watching this all take place around him. Friends of his, brothers and sisters, once devoted to the way of Jesus, began leaving that way behind and following in the complete other direction. Now, Bonhoeffer didn't protest. Bonhoeffer didn't grab a picket sign and storm the enemy. Bonhoeffer did something very different. Bonhoeffer grabbed a group of those who were devoted to the way of Jesus, the message and the truth of Jesus, and began to build a kingdom community together. Bonhoeffer's response in this crisis of faith in the church was to come back to the raw and fundamental elements of what it really means to follow Jesus in community. Now, this community, they lived together, they ate together, they learned together, prayed together, worshiped together, reordered, reordered their entire lives around one thing, following Jesus together. Now, we know this place would later be called Finkenwald. And the story goes, as I've said before, that a close friend of the family went out to find Diedrich and basically kind of snap him out of it. Basically to bring him back home and say, what are you doing? You're out here in the woods with a bunch of your friends? Like, what do you think is going to actually be accomplished here? What good is this going to do? The friend arrives and, and, and Diedrich takes him up to a giant hill um, where Finkenwald was down in the valley and he went to the top of the hill and he looked down over the ravine and what he saw was uh, a Nazi training camp. 
where there were thousands and thousands of young men marching and being discipled and formed into what Diedrich said was a kingdom of hardness and cruelty. John Tyson, he's a pastor in New York, wrote this about that moment. Discipleship must be stronger than cultural formation. Discipleship to Jesus must be stronger than cultural formation. Or basically, as Diedrich said to his friend, this, pointing at Finkenwald, must be stronger than that. Now, I know that's an extremely long introduction. But I think this really matters in the conversation about kingdom community that we are having right now. And specifically, what we're talking about really is the church. Now, we don't live under the rule of a Hitler or any such group like Bonhoeffer did. But we do live in a unique time in history where ideologies very much rule the air that we breathe at all times, inside and outside the church. The version or a version of a good life exists at every turn, whether it has to do with human sexuality, technology, politics, our time, our money, and the economy. Oftentimes, in a world like this, it can be very difficult to discern what the good life actually is. Is this way right because it feels right? Or is this way right because this also feels right? In times like this, in confusing, in confusing moments like this, we are in need of good news. So over the next five weeks, I want to explore why Jesus is still literally the best news we could ever hear. Every word, every invitation... Every moment that we read in, these, in this book about the life of Jesus is still reviving and renewing news for the time that we live in. So here's the question for us this morning and over the next five weeks. How is a community of people built around following Jesus the best news this world could receive? Because the Sunday school answer is to just say yes or Jesus. <laughs> but how, in real time, how is a community of people like us built on following Jesus still the best news this world could ever hear? But to answer that question, we need to go back to one of the first things that Jesus ever said. In Matthew 4, we hear this. Very, this is the very first invitation we hear from Jesus to the world. But before we get to verse 17, I want us to quickly look at verse 15 and 16. They're kind of jammed at the very beginning of this text. Now, this is, this is the Gospel of Matthew, so it's the good news of Jesus written by a man named Matthew who was a close friend, if not one of the closest friends to Jesus. Now, Matthew is not quoting Isaiah here just to fill time. <laughs> you laughed. Right, he's not, this is not just a mistake. This isn't, let's just quote the, the book of Isaiah because we can. Matthew is rooting us somewhere. He is bringing the readers into a story that they may not see. This right here is directly out of the Old Testament. I'm going to read from the book of Isaiah here in chapter 9. And this is exactly what Matthew quotes. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep, deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, Matthew is establishing before he goes any further that Jesus is not simply a good teacher. He isn't simply a good man. 
Matthew uses this line out of Isaiah to say that he is a great light to those living in a deep darkness. A light has actually dawned. Something is happening right here and is going to continue to take place that is different than anything else. And after Matthew establishes this fact, we read this. Verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This line right here that we so easily sometimes just pass right over to get to the good stuff sets up everything else we will discover about the good news of Jesus. For us to understand how weighty of a statement this actually is, we need to look closely at the world Jesus is living in. At this time, there were two power structures that ruled society in the time of Jesus. One would be the political power, and that was Rome. And two would be the religious power, and that was the Jewish temple. So let's first, let's look at Rome for a minute. Guitar pick. Let's look at Rome. Rome had conquered most of the known world by this point or was very close to ruling the entire known world. Now, the way that they would conquer you, there were two ways they could conquer you. One, Rome would just show up and say, hey, we're going to slaughter you with our military. Or we, you could live. There's another scenario where you could live, but we are going to tax you so hard you are going to live on very, very, very little. What do you think most people chose? I'd like to live. Even if it's with only 10% of my income, I'd rather you not kill me and my family. Really, that was the world that, that Jesus lived in. Rome came in and basically slaughtered you or they, they taxed you like you couldn't believe. So this is the political power at that time. But the second was the Jewish temple, the religious power. Now, we've talked a lot about, uh, as a church here, about the temple and the people of God. But this was a time in, in the people of God's history where the temple was filled and ruled by those who wanted their own needs met. They were there for their own benefit. Is this popping too much? You guys all right? Okay, it's bothering me, but I'll keep going. <laughs> but the Pharisees and the Sadducees and other religious leaders had created such a system where they prospered. They did great because they were on the in crowd. They did great and they basically made it impossible for anybody else to actually be right before God. They made the offerings that they had to bring in so expensive you could barely afford it, but you're also getting taxed like crazy, so you have very little. So if I don't have any money to bring in and buy a sacrifice, well, sorry guys, I guess you're not going to be able to be right with God. Religious power, political power. Both rooted in selfish desires. Both rooted in one group winning at the expense of the other. And then comes Jesus. It makes a lot more sense when Isaiah would say something like a light in the darkness, right? Talking about a whole other kingdom, but this kingdom is actually coming near. A whole other way, a whole other power. Now, here's the elephant in the room for us living on Graham and Anne in 2023. We don't really have a proper understanding of kingdom. Because for the most part, we can decide who governs us. Kind of. <laughs> to an extent, right? So here's the question. When Jesus says kingdom, what is a kingdom? What is a kingdom? In the Greek, it's this word here. I'll throw it up on the screen, but it refers to a domain in which a king rules. It's a domain in which a king rules. 
A king or a queen decides what a kingdom looks like. A kingdom is created from the desires and the values of the one ruling it. So if that's the understanding of kingdom, Jesus says the kingdom of what? The kingdom of heaven has come near. So if we understand that that's what a kingdom is, what does Jesus actually mean here, very tangibly, and like, what does he really mean by the kingdom of heaven? It's where God's desires and values are. See, heaven is the space where God rules. Heaven is the space where God is in charge. This kingdom that Jesus is talking about is where God is in charge. And this is actually coming close. It's actually coming close. It is so good and so unlike anything else anyone had ever experienced. It's like Isaiah said, a light has dawned for those living in darkness. It makes a lot more sense now that we use the word good news. And what we discover as we keep reading through the life that Jesus puts on display throughout the rest of the Gospels is this kingdom of heaven coming near. What we read is he begins to heal the sick. He feeds the hungry. He forgives sins. Those who are out in the margins of society that these other two powers have said, you don't belong, guess, guess, guess where Jesus is found most of the time? With them. Jesus does friendship differently. He looks at money differently. He looks at politics and power differently. He says things like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Who says that? Or he says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Okay, Jesus, that's kind of an uncomfortable thing to say. Why would you say that? Or, for God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave. What system or what kingdom in that time could even remotely reflect to words like that? Jesus talked about freedom and peace. Jesus talked about joy and mercy, salvation and healing, comfort and friendship in a way no one had ever heard before. A kingdom, a way of life rooted in the very goodness of God. Literally the best news this world could ever hear. But let's go back to these other two kingdoms for a moment. Unfortunately, the political and religious kingdoms were not rooted in the goodness of God. They were rooted in their own selfishness and in ruthless power. They were rooted in a system where one party wins while the other party loses. Two systems built on really one foundation. The only way I'll be happy is if I get what I want no matter the cost. Sounds nothing like the world we live in today. <laughs> the wild thing is this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In our first week, we talked about this. In the very beginning where God creates a good world where his desires and his values are actually in charge. They rule and reign. Where everything is rooted in God's goodness. There's no sickness. There's no death. There's no credit card debt. No cheating on tests. No backseat drivers. No decaf coffee. There's no temper tantrums. Right? There's no cancer. There's no dementia. 
It's just God's goodness. God went so far as to call it all what? Very good. But as we know, human beings decide we actually like our version of good over God's. And from that point on, we've been longing for the kingdom of heaven, but too often we're stuck with the kingdom of ourselves. It's like in our house when Adeline and Olive both want the Barbie with the purple hair. Friends, this is, an, this is the ultimate conundrum. See, in Olive's kingdom, just go with me for a second. In Olive's kingdom, her version of good is the Barbie with the purple hair is mine. And there's nothing you can do about it. But in Adeline's kingdom, her version of good says what? Actually, Olive, the Barbie with the purple hair is super mine. And then, let me tell you, has been happening all week, a battle royale breaks out in the living room and Jesse and I have to barge in and create a United Nations and create peace terms between these two little girls. All right, you over there, you over there. I will be Switzerland and I will sit right here. It's very true. Or to get a little bit more serious for a second, it's when Jesse and I are processing something together and my kingdom says, I'm right and it needs to go this way. Never happens. Right? So if I listen to my kingdom, what happens? I selfishly try to prove my point over and over and over again, but at what cost? The expense of her joy. Or, or it's the desire we cannot seem to tame at the expense of our healthy marriage. Or it's getting that promotion at the expense of a close friendship. Or it's going along with the thing we know is wrong for the sake of being accepted and finding a place of belonging. At times, we live in a world soaked in the selfish desires of our own kingdoms. Too often, we want what we want, and we want it now. But at what cost? Too often, to get what we want, something else has to lose, or someone else has to lose. And I think in real time, we are witnessing what happens in our world when selfish kingdoms are allowed to rule. There's not enough food to go around. There isn't enough clean drinking water. Do you remember when we couldn't find enough toilet paper? Can't believe how much toilet paper I fit in my house. But it's true, right? I need what I want, and I want it now. You know, it's crazy to look around at the, at the grocery stores when formula was missing, or diapers were gone. Like that... That's a pretty wild reality to be living in. Our world is anxious, afraid, and angry, and friends, many of us don't know what to do with that. Anybody felt that way at least once or twice over the last two or three years? If I had 17 hands, all 17 hands would be up. When we look at the world around us, let me ask this question. How are our kingdoms working out for us? Now, as heavy as a statement that is, we don't have to stay there. Jesus is always good news. Jesus is always good news. Something we've been saying over and over again at Lighthouse Youth over the last few weeks of doing Youth Alpha is Jesus is literally the best news we could ever hear. 
So let's go back a second again for, to Jesus' invitation in Matthew 4. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach good news, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. There is a whole other kingdom that has come near, and it is not a kingdom built on humanity's desires and values. Because what we know is we don't need another kingdom built on our own values. We know it's not working. So Jesus comes and he shares a kingdom that is actually built completely on the desires and the values of God. A good kingdom, a loving kingdom, a kingdom of mercy and justice, a kingdom of grace and beauty, a kingdom where we all come together, rich or poor, belonging or outcast, in one family where God is Father. Jesus says in John 14, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. This is not a kingdom like you've experienced anywhere else. So don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Or John 13, a new command I give you. Love one another. Get this. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. No pressure. Wow. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not by the facts that we can get straight. Not all the church knowledge that we know, which that's all good. But Jesus makes it about one thing. If you love one another. A kingdom where there is healing for the victim and at the same time forgiveness for the oppressor. What other kingdom exists like that? A kingdom where the last shall be first and the first shall be last. If we could all be honest in the room for a minute, that all sounds good, doesn't it? Like, we all want that. We all want that. No one wakes up in the morning and says to themselves, you know what? I really hope today I'm living into a kingdom that actually brings my utter unhappiness. Right? Nobody, nobody, like, it's funny, but nobody wakes up with that desire. Even when you're in the deep, dark places of depression and anxiety, there's still, because I've been there, there's a piece where you're like, I hope there's something today that actually turns this around. I'm doubtful, but I hope that there is. But the reality is, we can't get there on our own. We try, oh my goodness, friends, we try so hard. We try so hard, but even out of our best efforts at the end of the day, even in our most noble attempts, we are still selfish people. It's like when Jesus said in Matthew 16, what good, is, what, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? The best thing we can actually do is admit that we don't know how to get to real joy, that we don't know how to get to real peace, that we don't know how to get to real good and purpose. We need to admit we need a new way to function. We need to admit that we need a better kingdom. And the incredible news of Jesus is that he has that very kingdom on offer. We just have to respond to his invitation. We just have to be willing to leave our old ways behind, our selfish kingdoms. Jesus invites us to do this by using this word repent. I don't usually use the word repent in my everyday language. How's your day going? Oh, it's a very repenty day. Right, we don't use that word a lot. But it means to change direction. 
It's, it's, not, it's not a marrying one good thing and another good thing. That's not repentance. Repentance is to say, I'm leaving this thing way over here and I'm going all the way this way. Jesus isn't saying, take this and then marry it with this and then let's make a blend so that everything fits really nice. No, Jesus is saying, leave the whole thing behind and follow me. It's surrendering to the way of Jesus with literally our entire lives. And by living, choosing the way of Jesus. It's like when Jesse and I are processing, and I, and I or another word, a nice, maybe a more realistic word is fighting. <laughs> I want to push my way or my perspective. But the kingdom of God says, no, John, shh, shh, shh. How do you love your wife right now? What do you do? You listen. Why? Because I love Jesse and I love my family. But I know if I father and, and, and husband, be a husband, there we go. There's no, you can't turn husband into a verb. Husband, yeah, no, stop. I can't do that well unless I follow the way of Jesus. I am choosing to give up what I want for something far greater than what I want. A kingdom, a way not rooted in John, but a kingdom that is rooted in the goodness and the power of God. This is a kingdom where addiction does not get the final word. It's a kingdom where broken marriages do not get the final word. It's a kingdom where unforgiveness and bitterness do not get the final word. A kingdom where human-made political systems and war do not get the final word. Why? What is it about the kingdom of God that is so powerful that none of these things can stand against it? Because really, the kingdom of God is defined by one thing. And it's right here at the table. Because Jesus did the one thing you and I could never do. Jesus did the one thing that no power could even understand or fathom. It's a thing that disarms an entire system of selfishness. Jesus gave. Jesus gave. Jesus gave everything. Think about this for a second. We believe that Jesus wasn't just a man, right? He was fully God and fully man. Jesus gave up the intimacy with the Father in the throne room of heaven to get his feet dirty for us. He gave up his entire life. Everything. God in the flesh giving his life away so that you and I could experience in real time what it's like when the kingdom of heaven comes near. See, a system built on selfishness cannot stand against a kingdom of self-giving love. Have you ever been in an argument with somebody and then all of a sudden in the midst of the argument they just say, you know what, you're right, I'm sorry. Does this mean we're not fighting anymore? But you, what are you supposed to do with that? As soon as somebody comes in and diffuses the argument with that humility, you can't keep fighting back. Have you ever tried? You look really dumb. Because they have turned the power of the, well, well you said this, well, you said that, well, you, oh, you know what, I'm sorry. 
okay, I forgive you then. Right? It diffuses the entire argument like that. Now, now take that. It's a very loose and not perfect metaphor. But take that and multiply that about a billion trillion and we begin to understand at some level what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He took an entire system of earning, of making it right all on our own and said, not like that. Perfect love needs to come down and pay a price. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. To save the very world that broke his goodness. We can't save ourselves. We needed somebody to come and rescue us. And the rescue came, and his name is Jesus. Right here at the table, right here, this should be the living and breathing invitation from God's people. The church, the, the uh, kingdom community, this right here is the raw and found, a foundational purpose of a kingdom community. Right here is why Bonhoeffer grabbed his closest friends and instead of, you know, storming the gates, he said, we have to stay true to the kingdom community that Jesus called us to be. Even when the world around us tells us we're wrong, we have to stay true to the good news of Jesus. I was hoping for a couple of amens there because that was pretty good. <laughs> but do you understand the weight of that? Because it's really easy, isn't it? What feels good? I'd, I'd rather just go there. But in moments like that, in times of compromise, in times of hypocrisy, in times where it is so hard to truly know what is right, it's in these moments that we have to cling even tighter and bring to a deeper devotion to the way of Jesus and repent from the ways that are not his way. That is a moment to say, we need to know truly who you are, Jesus. It's what we read earlier in 2 Chronicles. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, that's repentance right there. What did God say he would do? I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Or as Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, this must be stronger than that. I'm going to invite Michelle to come up. Mark Sayers wrote this. Renewal occurs, he's a pastor in Australia. Re renewal occurs when people get to the end of themselves. When the social bonds that have kept us strong begin to break. When the stories we have to explain the world no longer make sense. Renewal comes when we are sickened by our false gods and broken promises of our impotent idols and ideologies. Read that first thing in the morning. It'll really pick you up. <laughs> when we are shattered by our striving and pathetic attempts at saving ourselves. We fall into the arms of Christ. We fall into the arms of Christ. To be remade without caveats and compromises. Or as Jesus said, way better, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near.
Now, I'm going to create some time to respond here in a minute, but I just want to give you a little bit of a roadmap over the next four weeks. Ultimately, to live into a kingdom community like this that is rooted in the kingdom of heaven, rooted in God's desires and his values, ultimately it means we live differently. A kingdom community rooted in the goodness of God means we, we look different. It means that we live different than other kingdoms. We operate different. Our heart motivations are different. Our whys are different. Now, I've, been, I've had a couple weeks off of teaching, and we've had some incredible and just, just transforming teachings over the last couple weeks, and I'm so thankful. But I specifically took some time, because I, I know, like, this vote's coming up, and I, I want you to know my heart. I want you to know what I'm dreaming about for our church. What I'm dreaming for Graham and Ann. What keeps me up at night. A lot does. Not just my screaming kids. What does it mean to be a lighthouse church in a kingdom community on Graham and Ann? And we're going to spend the next four weeks diving into just four areas where I just really feel like God has just been placing his finger for me. And I can't seem to get them off my mind, which usually means he's telling me something. To surrender our kingdom, our way, to look at what Jesus says. To surrender our kingdom and to be willing to receive the kingdom Jesus came to bring us so that Graham and Ann could know how good God actually is. Are you with me? Are you with me? Really simply, the four, just a little bit of a roadmap, just so we know where we're going. One is our relationships. Specifically in friendships, but even how we, how we do marriage. How we do relationships with one another. Second is our words. How we speak. The power of our words. Man, this book has a lot to say about the words that come out of our mouth. Jumpins. Our possessions, our money, how we spend, what we do with our possessions, our time, what we give our attention to. So I want to spend the next four weeks diving deep into these four areas and just saying, what does Jesus say to his church about these things? Our relationships, our words, our possessions, and our time. Now there are definitely more, but this is what the Lord's been telling me to stay on. I want us to be a community who live as though the kingdom of heaven has actually come near. And with every moment we have, we die to ourselves just a little bit more so that Graham and Ann can see Jesus. As John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he, he can increase. But listen, friends, that has to start with me. I can never lead any of you anywhere until I am willing to go there first. Friends, I have to. That right there is what it really means to pastor and shepherd a people. Paul said to Timothy, I, I can't get this line out of my head. Paul said to Timothy, follow me as I what? Follow Christ. Imitate me as I follow Christ. A pastor cannot lead the way he or she is supposed to go unless they first and foremost go there themselves. And that is it. I am learning, gracious me. 
I am learning. That is a heavy cost. But it's the only way I know. And I've lost way more hair than I thought I would in my first two years of pastoring. And there's lots of gray in my beard already. But God is so good. God is so good. In John 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that what? They may have life and have it to the full. So here's the question that I want us to reflect on over the, la- over the next four weeks. Do we trust that Jesus is actually good news? Is his way actually better than our way? Do we trust, I mean, really know and truly believe that Jesus actually has a better way on offer, filled and rooted in the presence of God? Because if he is actually as good of news as we claim he is, he is worth giving everything up for. If he is actually that good of news, what do we sing? You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things. And to you are all things. You deserve the glory. If he is actually that good of news, he is worth repenting for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Graham and Ann is aching for the good news of Jesus. Will the church be willing to give up everything so that Jesus could be the one on display? In every moment of our lives, good or bad, will we hear the invitation from Jesus to repent? For the kingdom of heaven has come near. A kingdom rooted in Jesus, only Jesus, the good news of Jesus. And over the next four weeks, I want us to respond by taking communion together. Now, I think one thing I love about, I said this earlier, about other church um, systems is every single week they root themselves in this. And too often we can get busy in our own stuff that we forget. One of Jesus' few invitations to do in remembrance of him together. Before Jesus is arrested, beaten, and betrayed, and eventually nailed to a cross, giving his life, Jesus had a meal. Jesus had a meal in kingdom community, rooting this group around a table, this meal right here. In Luke 22, it says, and he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after, the, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Stay rooted in this. Jesus pouring himself out so that we could experience the kingdom of heaven coming near. In a world full of kingdoms, full of directions that can feel and seem right, Jesus said this. Do this in remembrance of me.